Good morning, Rock family. It's good to see you. It's good to see those who are visiting with us for the first time today and those that are joining us by live stream today. Uh, we had a little bit of a hiccup this morning. My mic was on for a while. I don't think I went to the bathroom, but you may have heard some background information about how we're trying to make sure the service is exactly right. So I promise you, I always sound that mad, okay? So, but thank you for joining us today. I think we got that, that switch. Hopefully you can hear me now and we didn't do the opposite that you can't hear me now, uh, but we're glad that you're with us as well. Uh, I wanna say hi to those down in our overflow in the youth room. It's good to see you this morning as well. I wanna do better to make sure we're saying hi to everybody that's here. Um, we're excited that we're in this series about signs. And the signs that we're talking about are the signs that, the tangible signs that Jesus uh, did while he was on this earth to show what he was all about. And so uh, we kicked off talking about the marriage at Cana where Jesus was at this private family event with his disciples and how he changed water into wine because they ran out of wine. And we showed the, the clip from The Chosen. And today we showed you another clip from The Chosen talking about Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, that portion of Scripture, but then we're going to talk about uh, uh, primarily today how Jesus heals the son of a Roman official. And what I want to talk today about is basically a few things. I want to talk about healing, I want to talk about uh, perseverance, and I want to talk about doubt and how those three things go together. And you say, well, healing and perseverance, I kind of see that, but how does doubt go into that? Well, let me ask you a question. What is the one thing that can hinder what God is going to do in your life? Doubt. Doubt and fear. Because if you're living a life that's not pleasing to God and there's sin in your life, if there's things that you've thought, said, or done that displease God, that produces doubt and fear in your life. Because all of a sudden your mind is now off of what the word of God says and on whatever you've done or the guilt that you have or if you're still in the muck, you don't think so much about God. Now you think about you and what you're going on and that produces doubt and fear. And those are the things that can stop God working in your life. And so you say, Rob, is there a correlation between doubt and fear and sin? Absolutely. You say, well, I'm not sinning. I didn't kill anybody. I'm not stealing anything. I, I try not to cuss. I don't drink that much, all that stuff. Rob, what are you saying? If I doubt what God is doing in my life, that's sinful? Well, here's the very definition of sin. Anything that is outside of the will of God that we perform. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it in the will of God for us to doubt? Then what do we call that? Sin. It may sound like a soft sin or a, a, you know, a, a white collar sin that's not that bad that, you know, it won't be, but it's as bad as every other sin you can think of because this is what hinders God working in our life. So where are we with, with doubt? In the passages that, that we will read and the one that we'll go over, I want you to see that God has provided a way for us to have salvation in the midst of even our doubt and in our fear. So I'm going to read, uh, and we don't have slides for this because we saw the video, but I want to read what it says in, uh, in, in John. And I want to talk about uh, what, what happened. So John chapter 4, if you have a copy of the Word of God, you can read along with me. This goes into the account of what we saw in video. So when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and discipling, uh, baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went to Galilee. 
and he had to travel through Samaria, and he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the, the, the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well, and it was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me drink, he said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as his sons and his livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have answered correct. You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the man you are with is not your husband. What you've said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but the Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who must worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. This, uh, I mean, it's a pretty popular portion of scripture when Jesus meets the, the woman at the well. But there's so much background information as to why that was, this was such a significant event that sometimes we miss exactly what's happening. And what I want us to see, and we're going to look later at the, the story of, of Jesus and, uh, and, and how he heals uh, the official son. What I, wanna, what I wanna share with you is this. Whether or not something miraculous happens in public or in private, or in your presence, or outside of your presence, whenever God does something, it is miraculous. And the reason why I tell us that is because this. Sometimes we get so caught up in wanting to see the show, and wanting to see the smoke, and the lights, and the mirrors, we miss what God is doing internally in someone's life. Do you realize every time someone receives Jesus Christ as their savior, a miraculous event happened? That they've gone from death to life. They've gone from blindness to sight. Their eternal destination has now changed from being absent from the presence of God, except for his wrath, in a place the Bible describes as a literal hell, and now they have a home in heaven. Someone has gone from being an enemy of God to now being a child of God. And so when we look at all of the, the, 
the emotionalism and the and, and us craving tangibility to see all these things. Sometimes I think we miss what God is doing. And because we're always looking for the big show, we doubt when we don't realize that God has been working in our life behind the scenes for such a long time. And so we have, we have a story here about just a woman, a, a simple woman meeting with Jesus and something miraculous happens. Do you, do you realize this is the start of Jesus proclaiming exactly who he is to the public and this woman was the first one to experience it? So I want us to look quickly at, at what this story is all about and I want you to see a few things. The first thing we see is that when Jesus hears that the Pharisees found out that there were more disciples being made by him than other people. And all of a sudden we had all these converts are coming outside of Judaism and, and, and heading towards Christianity. Jesus doesn't lean in and continue to go. He, he actually withdraws and leaves the area. You see, because even though Jesus hasn't started his public ministry, you know this, if the message of Jesus gets out, it's going to do some great things for people. And as the message gets out just organically, people are coming to Jesus. And so Jesus withdraws. And so when he withdraws, he goes to an area called Samaria. Now, Samaria is a place that's very unique in the area. It's a place where actual Jews would actually take a longer journey to go around. And the reason why Samaria was what it was was because the Samaritans were considered half-bred. That they were half Jewish and half Gentile. And so they were, they were considered unclean. They were considered outcasts. They were considered less than. And so, so people who, who really followed the culture and the religion of Judaism wanted nothing to do with the Samar Samaritans. So the fact that Jesus takes his disciples to Sychar, which is inside of Samaria, was a big deal. It was a big deal because we understand that for those first century Christians, a lot of them would be coming out of Judaism. This would go against everything that they not only believed, but probably culturally and just with, with, with prejudicially, they did not want to go there. And he takes them right to this spot. And one of the things that's interesting about Samaria is that even though Samaria is culturally distant, it wasn't geographically distant. And sometimes that's what I want to share with you guys, even before we get into anything about our witness to where we live. There are people who are not geographically distant at all from us, but they're culturally or ethnically or religiously different. And we choose to disengage instead of realizing that's exactly where God wants us to go. So sometimes we only talk to the people who act like us, who sound like us, who look like us. When Jesus says we are supposed to engage people who are the exact contrary of what we are because that's what we're called to do. If you are a new creature in Christ, it is important that you understand you are now a citizen of heaven and it's your responsibility to reach everyone with the gospel no matter what your upbringing said. No matter what grandpa believes, no matter what awkward conversation you guys have at Thanksgiving, it is our responsibility to reach people who don't look and act and sound like us. That's what we're supposed to be about. And we've been given opportunities that we neglect because of where we're from or what we've been told. Or because it's just different, because it's just, it's awkward. It is our responsibility to reach whatever we would consider Samaria. The funny thing is, those people that we're trying to reach probably see us as Samaritans as well. And we don't talk to each other when we live really, really close to each other. 
So let me tell you, I want to say this right here. Just because my last name is Rodriguez doesn't mean I'm the only one that speaks to Hispanic people that come into this building, right? Just want, want to get that very clear, right? Like, it's not my job if somebody who's Hispanic comes in this room and go, hey, Pastor Rob, you have to meet them. You go up and talk to them. And by the way, if they don't speak English, we have Google Translate and a thousand other things you can use to speak to people. You know, it's high time for us to realize that we can engage people more than we ever could before because God has given us the ability through technology to do that. It's not about technology. It's not about availability. It's about our heart. And that's the battleground. And so Jesus begins to conquer this by going to Samaria. And I want you to look at the conversation that he has with this woman because I don't know if you realize this, this woman is very important in scripture. She becomes one of the biggest just uh, forerunners besides John the Baptist for, for Jesus Christ. She impacts her entire community, her entire culture through this one interaction with Jesus Christ. And I want you to tell, when we, when we think about this week, the idea of, of, of a deeper type of healing, I want you to realize God wants to do more than just heal physical ailments in your life. He will do that, but God heals us for what purpose? To cause us to glorify his name, to cause us to trust him more, and to cause us to herald what he's done to other people. So the healing that God provides is to draw us closer to him. And so the first healing that I want you to see isn't this, this official son. It's a deeper healing that this, that, that, that this woman encounters. So he's at the well, and you can pick up in verse 7, and he tells her to give, give, her, uh, give him a drink. And so she asked him the first question, just why, why would you ask for a drink? You may, you may think, it may sound a little culturally uh, weird for, for a guy just to ask a girl, hey, give me a drink like she's supposed to. And it was said, sometimes I think we miss the point. This was not Jesus being a male chauvinist. He wasn't just saying, hey, you're a woman, you got to give me water. He was literally telling somebody who was an outcast from society, hey, I will drink out of the cup that you give me. This was a big deal, not because Jesus was a man and because she was a woman. It was because Jesus was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. And he was saying, I will drink from the stuff that you draw. Jesus has always provided an intimate healing for us. It's not about the health so much as it is about the relationship that he wants to establish with us. And so Jesus says, I want to have this intimate relationship with you. I know, the, I know everyone else that looks like me would not want to talk to you. Everyone that you've encountered, even in your own town, doesn't want to talk to you. And we'll talk a little bit about, about her history. But he says, I, I want what you can give me. And the analogy can be drawn because Jesus says later on, he says, hey, if you knew who I was in verse 10, you know, you wouldn't, I wouldn't be asking you for a drink. You'd be asking me for one. And so Jesus does something that I think sometimes we forget. Sometimes Jesus provides healing and provides these intimate uh, relationships and interactions with us, not only to draw us to himself, but to recognize that the relationship that Jesus gives us is a two-way relationship. That Jesus just, just doesn't want to heal us. Jesus just doesn't want to save you. Jesus wants to be your personal Lord and Savior and the guide for your life. 
Jesus wants, Jesus loves you so much, he died to pay the price for your sin. Do you think Jesus just wants to be able to claim you as clean and that's it? No, Jesus wants to have a walk with you. And so he's bringing her into relationship. He says, hey, if you really knew who I was, you'd be talking to me. You'd be asking me. And so then he describes exactly what he's offering her. He calls it living water. And he says, those who drink this living water will never thirst again in opposition to those who would drink from this well who would get thirsty a little bit right after they drank. He says, in fact, the water that Jesus said he will give will become a water that, a well of water that springs up and springs up to something in really important. He says, it's not just this, this effervescent water. It's not just the best water you ever tasted. This water springs forth eternal life. So Jesus makes the analogy, he's saying, hey, water is going to make you thirsty again. This water from this well, even though it's significant, even though it's from Jacob's family, even though it's historic, even though it's culturally appropriate, even though the Samaritans drink from the same well that the, that the, the, the pure Jews come from, from Jacob. He says, even though all that's true, this is the thing that links them most to their Jewish heritage. He says this, the water that I will give you is way more important than this one. Way more important than your past. Way more important than your family. Way more important than, than, than your upbringing. Way more important than the good things and the bad things that you've done. What Jesus offers us is eternal life. And he says this goes beyond culture. This goes beyond sin. He is going to come to pay the price that you and I can have everlasting life. And so he tells us that, that this water is more than just a drink. It's a well that actually springs up and gives us eternal life. Now, put yourself in this, in this situation. You're at a well. Um, you know your past. Other people know your past. You come at noontime because no one else is going to be there. Your, li your life isn't the, the, the best. And then someone comes and tells you that if you drink from this water that he hasn't shown you yet, you'd have eternal life. So, so there, there's enough going on here. If, if, you, if you really don't see what, what's happening there and the spirit isn't moving, it's a very weird conversation. And so the woman says this in verse 15, sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. So here's a partial view of what we see sometimes Jesus doing in our life. We're not fully committed and we're not fully uh, understanding what Jesus is saying, but we do see some sort of benefit in what the Bible and the word of God has to offer us. And this is sometimes where a lot of us are, some of us who still haven't made a decision to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Sometimes we, we come to church, sometimes we're involved in religious activities. A lot of times we get our kids involved in these activities. Why? Because we know that there's something good. Right. We know that there's something that's beneficial for, for, for us learning about Jesus. And this is where at this point where this woman is, she's not totally committed to this living water, but she's saying, hey, give me whatever you have so I don't have to come here again. She did, she missed the eternal life part. She just thought if Jesus gives her this water that doesn't run out, what doesn't she have to do anymore? Come to this well. Come to the place that reminds her all the time that she's an outcast. 
So there, there's this benefit that she sees, and maybe we see it as a physical or even religious. She sees a benefit to Jesus, but she's not fully there yet. And that happens a lot of times when we think about why do we have doubt and fear? Why, why do we not see this, this level of a deeper healing? Why do we not experience this perseverance, even if we know Jesus, is because some of us are still looking at what Jesus offers us in a practical, shallow sense and not in the deeper healing that God wants wants to provide. And so we see church as something valuable for our kids and even valuable for us. We, 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 uh, praying after a meal just seems like the right thing to do. Maybe reading our Bible once in a while will, 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 will keep the devil away. Maybe this is what we're trying. But it's not that deeper healing and that new walk that we were talking about. It's superficial. And so sometimes in order for Jesus to take us beyond the superficial, Jesus has to bring up some stuff about us in order for us to go deeper. So here's my question before we go even further. Are you willing for God to go deeper into who you really are in order for him to show you how you can have a deeper type of healing? Some of us, I remember I was talking to a friend of mine He's he's passed away. He was a he, he was a he owned a carpet business when we used to live in uh, in, in the western part of New Jersey. And uh, you know we were getting some some carpet for the parsonage and some flooring for the church. And one day I went in to see him, and uh, he was he was telling me, "Yeah, I'm probably going to be out for a while. I think something's really wrong." And I was like, "Dude, what's going on?" He goes, "Well, I I I'm, my my eyes are turning yellow, and I I I did made the mistake of going on WebMD." And I got scared and, you know, I've been kind of letting it go for about six months. And he goes, but it's starting to get bad. And so I need, I need, I need to go. And so I'm going to get my, 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 my veterans benefits set up and I'm going to go in. Come to find out when he, when he goes to the doctor, he has stage four pancreatic cancer. And I remember when, when, I, when I saw him, he was losing weight. He, was, he, he did the job at the parsonage, did the job at the, at the church, and he had a partner, had to come and pretty much finish the job because he was getting weaker and weaker, and he finally succumbed to this, and he died. And I remember what he told me the first time I saw him when, I, when he showed me his yellow eyes. He said, I'm just too scared to find out what the doctor says. He goes, ignorance is bliss. And sometimes... You and I don't go further in our Christian walk because we'd rather remain ignorant instead of letting God dig deep through his word to show us what's really going on. So sometimes we'll, we'll accept the praise, we'll accept the worship, we'll accept the little rebukes that we get just by reading a few pages of the word of God or listening to what the preacher says. But when it really comes to us really doing the work, doing the step work that it takes for us to realize the big character defects that we have in our life, we don't recognize how powerless we are. And we stay in this superficial Christianity that really doesn't take care of the issues that needs to be taken care of because we're too scared to show God what, we're, what we really are. Now, just like medically, when we think about that, it, it's really silly. And, and you would hope that, that, that we or our family members who see that there's something wrong would get checked out right away. The same thing needs to be true about us in our, in our spiritual life. As soon as we feel that anything is off kilter or we feel distant from God or maybe something is tugging at us right now that we realize we don't have a, 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 a true biblical relationship with Jesus Christ, then maybe we would take that step and maybe we would talk to God about what he wants to talk to us about and maybe we would go deeper in this healing. 
So we know the, the rest of the story. Jesus tells her about the, the, all the husbands that she's had and the one that she's living with is not her husband. And so the way Jesus says it is very matter of fact, not judgmental at all, but very, because honestly, if you've had five husbands and you're living with someone who's not your husband right now, you don't need any more judgment. You're feeling it, right? And so Jesus just says, hey, this is where you're at right now. And she, and she just starts saying, you're, you're telling me everything that, that, that I know. And she recognized, how did she recognize Jesus as the Messiah? Because Jesus knew what was already in her heart. And this is the powerful truth about the word of God is the word of God is sharper than any two edged sword. It divides between the joints and marrow and the soul and spirit of your heart. If you want to find out who you really are, open the word of God and ask God to show you who you are. And he will. And this is that moment of courage that we need to have to recognize what exactly Jesus can do. And when, so we see from this story that this deeper healing already starts to happen with this woman. And it's not some super, it's not even physical. The healing that this woman received to the point that she didn't care anymore about her past. She wanted to tell everybody who told her exactly who she was. And before we get into the passage about the official son and how Jesus heals this son, I want you to realize it is our privilege to be able to share with people the truth about Jesus Christ, knowing what he's done for us. If you don't know where to start, if you don't know what verse to go to, just tell people what Jesus told you about yourself and how he healed you from who you were and is now making you who you're becoming. That is what the deeper healing is all about. So I want, I want us to see now through the next healing that Jesus provides, the next sign, I want you to see how, how, how this deeper healing really plays itself out. So let's all stand and we're going to turn in our Bibles and we're going to go to uh, the, the end of chapter four. And we're going to go to verse 39 of, and go down to the end of the chapter. So verse 39 says... Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what? The woman who testified, right? So this lady was probably like, the, I mean, she, she, was, she was Billy Graham's predecessor. I mean, this lady, so many people got saved because of what she said. He told me everything I ever did. You would think that would scare some people, right? He told you everything. No, but it, but it really showed them, man, this guy, this is more. The Pharisees tell you what you did wrong. Jesus tells you everything about yourself. Jesus cares about healing, not about condemnation. That's the big difference between religion and a relationship is that Jesus shows you who you are in order to provide a deeper healing. And people were being saved. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this really is the savior of the world. The next part of deep healing, you see what happens. And you go from just not just believing the testimony of someone else. You experience the healing for yourself. Right? We don't just believe because you said it. We believe because we've experienced it. So after two days, he left there for Galilee. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So more was happening outside of where Jesus is from than where he's from, right? So he says, when they, when he, they entered Galilee, Gal the Galileans welcomed them because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they had also gone to the festival. 
So verse 46, he went again to Cana of Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill in Capernaum. Okay, so Jesus is where? Cana, right? And this official's son is where? Capernaum, right? And when this man heard that Jesus had come to Judea and to Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will be alive. Your son will live. And the, fa- and the man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. And when he was still going down, his servants met him saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday, about one in the afternoon, as the fever left him, they answered. Their father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came to Judea and Galilee. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks for standing. You could be seated. This deeper healing, what does it actually show us? A deeper healing goes beyond the physical. A deeper healing is what causes us to transfer from doubt and fear to us having belief. And we experience this deeper healing that causes perseverance. Here's here's what Jesus is trying to do for us as believers. Jesus wants us to not only experience the healing that he's offering, physical and spiritual, he wants us to then have this spiritual muscle memory realizing that Jesus has done it before and that he will do it again for us. And that he'll continue to bless, continue to heal, continue to provide. And then with that deeper healing, we see like the Samaritan woman, there's this bigger proclamation that causes us to share what God has done for us with other people, right? That's what God wants to do. God, remember, if it's about Jesus' kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, it's way more bigger than our story, correct? But he uses our testimony to, to show what he has done for people and what he continues to do for people. So now Jesus is coming back to Cana and while he was there, now remember, this is where he turned the water into wine. While he's in Cana, there's a royal official who's in Capernaum, which remember, what is Capernaum? Capernaum is Jesus's kind of his hub, his center. It's where, it's where James and John are from. It's where he would stay with, 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 with the parents of some of his disciples. A lot of the beginning of the teachings happened there. So Capernaum is Jesus' home base and the royal official in Capernaum knows that Jesus is in Cana and he decides that he needs to go down and see Jesus. Why? Because his son is sick and his son is so sick that they think he's going to die. Now for those of us who are parents, when our kids are sick, we will do anything, right? All of a sudden, the idea about going into debt for medical bills goes out the door. All of a sudden, when we think about, you know, how long something will take, like how far we have to drive, whatever it is, all that goes out the window when our kids are sick. We, parents will do anything for their children. I read a story about a guy who actually started a pharmaceutical company just to get, uh, just to get scientists together to provide the right type of healing for his kid that was about to die. It was a very, very uh, unique type of circumstance, but he raised uh, v- venture capital within a year to, order to start this million-dollar company that produced a cure for his son. And then we found out a bunch of other kids who had the exact same problem. He was able to save a lot of kids because he wanted his son 
done to be better. And I want to tell you that Jesus Christ cares so much about you. He wants to provide healing. I want, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Jesus wants to heal you. But sometimes we're so superficial in what type of healing that we want. We ask Jesus to heal the physical and we don't even think about that. Jesus wants to do way more than that for us. Can Jesus heal physically? Absolutely. Is Jesus still in the healing business? Absolutely. There are people in this room right now that would stand up and testify how Jesus has healed them. But that isn't the end of the story. And that's not the most important thing Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants to save you from your sin. Jesus wants to save you from eternal separation from God. Jesus wants to be your savior more than he wants to be your good physician. Do you know that? Jesus wants to save you, so he wants to provide this deeper healing. And I want you to see how this plays out in the life of the official. So the official is from Capernaum. It was very customary for the Roman officials to know a lot about what's going on in their town. So he obviously would know about Jesus. He's had interactions with the disciples. And so this is what he does. So Cana to Capernaum is about a day's journey by foot. And he begins to walk down all the way down to see Jesus, to ask Jesus to heal his son. Now, we know a Roman official has clout, he has power, he has chariots, he has soldiers, he has messengers. He could have sent someone, and what could he have done? As a Roman official, he could have summoned Jesus to come to him, right? But this man knows, not only is his son in need, he, he, he changed the rules of what you normally do and humbled himself because he was asking for something for his son. Parents will do crazy things. And so he, he forgets his status, he forgets his position, and puts himself in the right order. If you want God to heal you, if you want God to save you, you have to stop being your savior. You have to stop being your own savior if you want God to change your life. You have to stop being your own religion. You have to stop being your, your only means for life. You have to give up who you are and recognize who Jesus is. And so he walks a day's journey to, journey to Jesus and he tells Jesus, he, he, this is what the Bible says, I'll quote what it says. Sir, uh, he asked him down to heal his son, and Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said, come down before my boy dies. This is, verse 48 just seems like this, this, this rebuke that Jesus, this guy's asking for help. He's saying, please come, please come, so heal, heal my son. And then Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you won't believe. And so I want you to realize when, when Jesus says things like that, he's, he's talking to the bigger audience than just the official that's there. He's talking about, that's why he says, you people. And this is what he says, that the world, us in general, as human beings, we only believe in what we can see. And sometimes that's the biggest hurdle that we have in our spiritual walk is that we are so superficial that unless we see a sign or a wonder, we don't think God is doing anything in our life. Unless God answers in some, some spectacular affirmative, we don't think God is working at all. And we get depressed and anxious because then we'll start saying things like, God's not here, God's dead, God's not working, God, where are you? Because you're not seeing some spectacle. 
And I want you to realize, even Jesus says, signs and wonders isn't what it's all about. The sign that Jesus does is in order for us to realize that he's always working. So I, I love how Jesus does this. The water turning into wine, it's a big deal to change water into wine, right? Correct. That's not, that's not bad. But realize, how did Jesus turn that water into wine? He did it in the, in the pots. He told them to draw it out, and they drank. He never said, hey, I'm changing water into wine. There you go. He did it. And it was done. And only certain people knew what he did. Jesus doesn't cause spectacles in order for people to believe. Jesus provides deeper healing to actually save people. Jesus doesn't care whether you want a front row seat. Jesus cares about having a relationship with you. Jesus doesn't want you at the front row of his concert. Jesus wants you to be with him all the time. And so he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. And so the, the, the man doubles down and goes, sir, please come before my boys die. He says, this is not about the spectacle. I just want my son to live. This is not about you performing a sign and wonder. I don't want to have the lights and shows outside my house. I just need my son not to die. And here's what Jesus tells him, go. He tells him to leave. But he tells him, your son will live. So as a parent, you, you make this journey and you go down and, and you walk the whole way to see Jesus. You're already humbling yourself. You know who you are. You know your status is. You know what you could do physically to Jesus if he doesn't do what you say. But instead you humble yourself, realizing who he is. You walk a whole day's journey. You get down there and you tell Jesus about your son. And then he talks about signs and wonders. And you're like, I don't care about the signs and wonders. I just want my son to live. And Jesus tells you to go home. As a parent, how are you feeling at this moment? I want, I want Jesus to, he told me to leave. I, I just came this whole way. And Jesus says something. He says four words. Your son will live. Now, you've, you've experienced people saying things all the time. Ah, you're going to beat this. When you're facing cancer and someone says, hey, you're going to beat this, you don't feel like you're going to beat this, right? You're hoping. You're praying. But when someone says, hey, you know, you're going to be fine, you don't, you don't take that, do you? But this man could have done the same thing. He could have said, your son will live. How do you know, Jesus, you're not coming? I, I hope. But the Bible says, because remember, the Bible knows the very intents of the heart of the people that it's writing about. The Bible says, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John writes, the man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. So here's the thing, you and I can do what God says, but it's only whether or not you and I believe what God said he's going to do, whether or not things happen. So he could have left, he could have listened to Jesus, just followed the letter of the law, but remember what Jesus told the Samaritan woman, that people need to believe by the spirit and the truth, right? And so he could have just left and said, man, I hope Jesus is going to, and he could have lived by doubt and fear the whole way home. But the Bible says that when he left, he believed that Jesus would heal his son. So he left believing. You see, here's the difference for us. This is the deeper healing that Jesus wants to give us. We could either go through life living through the motions of Christianity, but never fully recognizing who Jesus is and recognizing what he wants to do for us. Or we can believe even when we feel that God is not answering in the time that we want him to. 
This is that deeper healing. This is that faith. This is the change that God provides for us. That even though we don't understand, even though we don't like God's answer sometimes, we still believe as we do what Jesus says. So let's go to verse 51. While he was still going down, and I I believe this is the grace of God, that God sends his servants down to talk to him. Because he didn't, wait, he, he didn't make him wait till he got home. His servants were, were and, and obviously, when the servants are taking care of this boy while the dad's away, they know that they're either going to have to probably run and tell him your son is dead or they'd be scared to tell him that. But instead of having, like, they were already prepared for having to tell their master, your son died. There was no hope for this kid. But instead, the servants get to tell him this miraculous news that their son is alive. And so they they run down, they find him. While he's on the way home, they meet on the path. And so he asked them, "When, when did my son start getting better? And they said, yesterday, about 1 p.m., the fever left. And so, next verse. So he, so he answers, he thinks about it. The father realizes that that was the very hour that Jesus said, your son will live. So as soon as Jesus said, your son's going to live. I want, guys, when Jesus says something, he means it. When the word of God proclaims something, the word of God means it. When God says that you are who he says you are, he means it. If your identity is in Christ, Your identity is in Christ whether you want to accept that or not. And some of us live in the identity of ourselves and in our problems and our doubts and our fears and our past when Jesus says you're no longer that anymore. Therefore, we are new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything is new. Jesus says, I've come not only for you to have life, but to have it abundantly. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I provide a living water that sprouts up like a well of eternal life. Jesus means what he says. And when he says that he loves you, you better believe he means it. And when he says he wants to save you, when he says he wants to, to give you this deeper healing where you no longer have to worry about whether you're accepted in the beloved, he means it. He told him, your son will live. And your son, at that very moment, his son was made whole. So here's the thing I want you to see. You see, in verse 51, it says that he believed, right? He believed. He, he, he left because he believed, right? But now we see in verse 53, your son will live. He, he said, so he said, he, he himself believed along with his whole household. So I want you to see something about the progression of our faith. Just, become we co- just because we come to Jesus Christ doesn't mean, and you know this, we don't have our act together, Right? When you become a Christian, you're not all of a sudden this super Christian that knows everything, right? A lot of times we stumble and fall. A lot of times we sin half an hour after we accept Jesus. We don't have it all together. None of us still have it all together. And if you think you have it all together, you don't have it all together. You're probably worse off than the rest of us are if you think you have it all together. And for those of us who recognize that we don't have it all together, there are these different levels of, like we talked about, there's different levels of service, but I believe there's also different levels of belief that we have. That's why Jesus says that it really only takes the faith the size of a mustard seed 
to realize. And that's why Jesus says it takes a childlike faith, an innocent faith to realize, man, if God says it, I believe it, and that's good enough for me. That's, that's where kids are. But then we get all of this, this static and this noise and this experience, and then we have all of these, these cloudy things, and we have the doubt and fear and anxiety and depression. All these things come in because of the way we're living our life and because of X factors that we can't control. And so all of a sudden we believe, but we, but we still have these, these pockets of doubt. Can you, can you agree with me on that? I mean, I don't think we all have it together, right? There are times that I doubt. There are times that you doubt. And if you say, no, I've never doubted before, you're lying. Get out of here. No perfect people out in this church. You, you, seriously? You've never, come on. But those of us who are going to be honest, you know what that's like. That you believe, but they're still like, eh. And so it looks like when he sees that Jesus saved him at the exact hour that he said he was going to, this man now entered another level of faith. And this is what the Bible talks about when we talk about progressive sanctification, that we grow closer daily in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we realize that we are now hopefully ahead of where we were yesterday, but we are no near where we're supposed to be in our relationship with Jesus. And he says when he got to this level of faith, his entire household also believed. You see, you should have faith like the Samaritan woman that causes you to recognize who the Messiah is, but then there is this other level of faith that causes you to proclaim it and other people now also believe. And verse 54 closes up and it says, this was the second sign that Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. So we read through this. We read Jesus has done a lot in four chapters. But there are specific moments where Jesus decides to do something public for people to recognize who he is, and they're significant events. And this significant event wasn't the Samaritan woman. That gives us the pretext because the entire area of Samaria, Samaria starts coming to Jesus. This is a second sign for the people where he's from to realize who he is. Here's the thing for us today at The Rock. God is working within our midst and he's working outside of our walls. But the problem is sometimes we don't realize what God is doing on the inside because we're just so focused on what we think is happening inside of our life and we're missing things. We need to get to the place that we realize the deeper healing that Jesus has for us not only provides healing and and a victory over doubt and fear and perseverance for the future, but the healing that Jesus provides also causes us to tell other people about who he is.